Welcome to the Jerry T Podcast. Once again, with Dave Shields, and also once again, the big breadwinner out of SCG Dallas. Uh, did Janet like the trophy? Uh, Leo liked it more, but yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to ask about him next. So. Yeah. I don't know that he knows exactly what it is. He like says trophy very slowly and skeptically, but um, yeah, he was carrying it around today, which was fun. <laughs> that rules. Uh, do you have like old hardware set up somewhere? Yeah. So I have a box in the basement and he has dug it out and played with it. And I don't know, um, maybe once the house is unpacked and I have like a man cave down in the basement somewhere that stuff can come out of the ashes or whatever. But yeah, he's dug through, thrown that through that and played with it a little bit. Okay. So there were a couple times where you're FaceTiming with the fam and there were some things about. I, I don't know all the details or whatever, but just like, you know, boxes need to be dragged here or whatever somewhere. And then you're also trying to get me to come up to Boston to have like an RCQ weekend at some point, which I'm down for. And now you're talking about setting up man cave kind of thing. I feel like that's what we should do when I'm there. It's I help you do your chores. I love it. I love it. And they can be productive too. We can clear you out of space. So my secret p- side project I've been working on for a little while is... So I have nine foot ceilings in my basement and I was an avid golfer for a lot of years, but with a three-year-old and a magic podcast, my golf game has really fallen off a cliff. Don't blame the podcast. I I, Listen, I'm not blaming anything. (laughs) It's just a reality, right? You can only have so many, there's only so much time in the day. So um, I've been working on a little bit of a net and a, a simulator situation in the basement. Okay. So that's like kind of what I'm building. It's not finished yet, but we might finish it around it. Um, I'm I'm selling it as a very, very large TV. That Ooh. just so happens to be able to, you know, you can hit golf balls into it. Yeah. Have you ever played any VR games? I mean, I've played virtual golf. Sure. Okay. I guess that counts. Well, I mean, there, there are probably good golf games. I, I just never look at them. Uh I don't know, dude, there, there are some some VR games and I know that there are going to be actual people who are a fan of VR games who give me crap for this because this is like the most, I don't know, like bottom of the barrel one or whatever, like the most popular one. And this is like many years old at this, time, at this point, but like Beat Saber is, is awesome to the point where I bought like a VR rig just for it. And it, it it's like a, a rhythm game where you just have like a VR sword that you chop blocks in a certain direction or whatever to like Guitar Hero style. Oh, I've seen people playing this game. I've never played it myself, but it, it rules. It's so fun. Yeah, I'm Googling it now. And anything I can do to make the uh, golf simulator more of a family activity is um, right up my alley, even if it's just to help rationalize it. Yeah. So I was thinking like, oh, you got like a space for like golf, golf sim. You got a space for like random VR games, you know, like table for magic or whatever if you want to do that who knows yeah cool yeah man cave man absolutely yeah. yeah whatever you want to do all right dallas you played ramp in standard you played uh four color cascade beans in modern uh i mostly did the same except i played golgarian standard and the reason for that is uh, me still sucking at communication, I guess. Uh, yeah, and not looking out for yourself. Well, yeah, but also we established this weekend that I'm never going to do that. Sure. Maybe. 
So uh, I, I don't, okay. Like I, I get there, I get to, I get to Austin on Thursday, a day before you get in. And I, I'm staying with your, your brother and his girlfriend, Christine. And as far as I can tell, he has like not practiced. Like maybe that's not true. I don't know, but that's sort of what it seems like. And I want kind of like you and him to play the same deck. And I also want him to have the best chance of succeeding. I mean, obviously I want you both to have the best chance, but like, I think that you're already there in that regard. And I think that ramp is the deck to play. So if it were just me and you, I would have played ramp, but he also did not seem like super concerned about like what he played. Yeah. He wasn't going to work very hard to like get cards or whatever. Like he had most of the stuff for Esper because he had played it in the previous format and he was just like, oh, I'll just play this or whatever. I don't care. And to me, that was like not acceptable. Yeah. So I get there Friday night and you're pretty tired. You go to bed. I go or lay down and relax. I go out to dinner with Brian and Christine. And Brian just says to me, like, yo, I'm like, I asked, I mean, I'm trying to ask him what deck he wants to play, what he's going to play, what are we doing? Um, and he's like, well, they're both Jerry's cards. You built both of the decks. So True. he's like, which one does Jerry want to play? And I'm like, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. You were not as clear with me at that point. And he's like, well, he was playing Black Green on his phone the, yesterday all day at my, my, at my house. So I feel like he wants to play Black Green. So I'm going to play Ramp. I played like two matches of Black Green. And uh, I was doing that because by that time, I was convinced that I was handing off ramp to him. Fun. So he is a mid-range guy. That's just like the stuff he gravitates to regardless of how good it is. And I think if you gave him the choice and you just like didn't show up to the event, he was going to play black green. But the last thing he wanted to do is play the deck you thought he, he thought you wanted to play. So I love this. Neither of you played the deck you wanted because you both thought the other one wanted to play the opposite. Yeah, uh, mistakes were made, I guess. But also, like, my, my thing with green-black, uh, this is fast-forwarding a bit, but, like, at uh, dinner on Sunday, we were out with Corey Bowmeister, and he was asking me about green-black a little bit, kind of, like, comparing it to Esper or whatever. And I, I have a thing with green-black that I've talked about a little bit on previous podcasts where, like, I was figuring out the ramp matchup, and... It got to a point where my strategy was like very refined and very efficient. And there were a lot of little things like that inherent in the way that I built the deck and how I played it that I think that if I played ramp and your brother played green black, our results uh, like as a collective unit would be worse than if I played green black and he played ramp. I think I buy that logic and respect that rationale for the decision making. Yeah. So that being said, like we don't, we're not trying to maximize like the average record we have, right? Magic's all about like, you know, I your mean, highest of highs, right? I kind of am. Where like I felt like if if I wanted to maximize the chances of like all three of us in top eight or whatever, this was the correct distribution, given that I didn't have you know like two copies of the ramp deck. Yeah. But I feel like maximizing the odds of one of us getting first, even if the other two get dead last, is where our mindset should be. I agree, but I think that that would be three copies of the ramp deck, which we didn't have. Fair. It's funny because I was not actually like, listen, I was going to play ramp the whole way, but it was not because I thought it was the best deck or anything of the sort. It was just the deck I was enjoying and the deck I had the most reps with, and it just fit, and I knew it was at least acceptable. 
fair. I mean, my my testing started with this this being ramp looks like the best thing to be doing in the format, and then identified some problems which don't immediately discount it as playable. But it's like, okay, if I'm going to go back to this, I need to to fix these things. And then I did my due diligence going through like each of the other decks, and uh, Esper was basically better against ramp than Golgari, but its cards had an individually lower power level than green-black. And I think those those mid-range matchups, you are operating at a low base very often because of all, a lot of the decks are just like sweepers and spot removal and and that sort of stuff. So like you're forced to operate at a lower base. So I think that green-black, at least right now, is better than Esper. Uh, and then there were weirdo things like soldiers that could potentially break that paradigm by like going super wide. All my creatures are bad. Uh, still has a bunch of counter spells for like ramp and stuff, has a decent uh, couple of different engines in the deck, you know. Um, but I felt like ramp in an open field, like we don't know what things people are going to play. And especially with, with things like green black, it's like you have to work really hard to beat it and you have to put in a lot of work. And I didn't think people were going to do that. So it just seemed to me like ramp was the best choice by a lot. And then, especially if you get to work, like, you know, tuning a little bit, adding a land, namely, but also figuring out things like the mirror match. Yeah. And we can get to that a little bit. And I think a few of the changes that you made to the deck, um, which I ended up just taking blindly because you did a good amount of work on it up to that, up to the event, um, really, really helped in the mirror. And I think if we went in and tweaked it just to beat the mirror, there's a few more things we could have done a little different. Um, but I think we had a pretty good, well-rounded list and notably a good plan for the mirror. Four soldiers decks in the top eight for whatever that's worth. Yeah, it's a lot. So uh, the other deck that I was working on building was soldiers. So I had a lot of the cards. And then uh, my friend Robin posted about like needing a standard deck. And I, I kind of like felt bad. I was like, hey, I have I have all these cards if you want them because it didn't seem like there was any hype around soldiers. And I thought I was like maybe kind of giving her a, a bad deck or whatever. Uh, but then after seeing the top eight, I, I didn't feel bad anymore. You know? Yeah. Like I thought it was good. It just seemed like, well, everyone else thought it was bad. So maybe there's something to that, but you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing with your brother where I, I didn't want to give him like green black and like have him do bad. You know, I would just feel bad then. Yeah, you shouldn't. Well, I'm, I'm going to, you can't stop me. So what what now? Fair. And then wh- what do you think you're you want to talk about your 2 a.m. brainworm before the tournament? Uh could um basically the the blue cards, the counter spells specifically, give you uh a lot of ease in dealing with things like ramp. Whereas like green black, you really have to jump through a lot of hoops to figure out exactly how the games play out and like what specific things you can do on what specific turns to to actually give them trouble. Whereas, you know, Disdainful Stroke, for example, is just like, oh, play creatures, counter their sweepers, and you just win a lot of the time. And me liking the individual power level of the green-black stuff and then me seeing the, the ease of which the blue cards kind of fix that matchup, I was like, well, what if... I just put together like a blue black mid range deck and had kind of like the best of both worlds, like individual high power level, but also the counterspell aspect of things. And then I started looking at the old blue black decks because there was a period where 
Uh, Blue Black was like the best deck in Standard, which I don't think a lot of people remember it because there was like nothing going on in Standard at that time. Um, but this is like right after the bans. Yeah, basically. And so there was a lot there to go off of, which was cool. And like, I dude, I even found like articles on random websites and stuff. Well, oh yeah, those still exist. What random websites? <laughs> okay, a lot of ads. Like I can look on my PC because I have ad blocker, but if I look on my phone, my phone will overheat. Got it. You know. Got it. And then I was looking at it even more, where I was like, ah, like part of the problem with these decks is that they're sort of clunky. And one of the things I liked when the set came out was working on fairy stuff because all the fairy stuff was like really cheap. And it sort of like powered up all of the the blue black cards where it's like instead of cut down, you get to play fairy fencing for one mana. And instead of make disappear, where sometimes you have to sacrifice uh, sac a creature now, you get spell stutter and stuff like that. And then pairing all of this like one and two mana interaction with a draw engine like Kaito, having a flash threat like air tie against uh, ramp decks where you never really want to overcommit into their sweepers and stuff. I was like, oh, maybe we're cooking, you know? So... The, if if there's a standard thing in the future, that's what I'm going to look at. But I didn't have a whole lot of time to like necessarily see that play out to fruition, you know. But yeah, that was 2 a.m. Yeah. And I think a deck that probably has a pretty good ramp matchup on paper, at least theoretically. It seems really um, good to me. Yeah. I would assume if like, hey, ramps the deck to beat, this is like probably a pretty reasonable place to jump to. But what does it do different than... The soldier's deck is probably where I would start thinking through things. Does it well, fix problems soldiers has that have a good soldiers matchup? Because well, on what, paper they feel very similar. What is yeah, it's like small creatures plus disruption or whatever kind of yeah. thing. But so in in terms of the ramp deck that you played, and you mentioned this briefly to me, where like you were talking to people who are in the top eight and they're like, Oh, you know, like I I have a fifth sweeper or whatever, and you were like, I have eight. Yeah. And I think that is the type of thing that soldiers is going to have a difficult time beating, but something like blue black, it's like all your creatures are three power. They're each individually like pretty strong. Whereas the soldiers deck does need to go wide. And then something like eight sweepers is going to kind of defeat them a lot of the time. Whereas like the blue black deck doesn't really care, you know? Yeah. And Eves and I collectively went five and zero against blue white soldiers across the event. Right. Whereas I think that y'all would have a tough time with the stuff that I was cooking up. Yep. And if not, then I can just throw in the garbage. No harm, no foul. That's that's cool. But I don't think that's the case. Anyway, uh, tell me tell me about your tournament. So we start the morning off by talking about your brainworm, and you even <laughs> Ebes at breakfast is joking and wondering if you're actually playing that because the whole what deck is Jerry going to play was the topic of conversation the night before as well. Um, which turns out to help me because I just played against blue black fairies in the first round of the tournament. Y'all, well, that's funny, but y'all can just ask me too. Uh, I think we've established that in these situations, you're not going to be super honest or transparent until after the fact because you want Brian to pick. That but next might time I be will. True. Well, you can ask me for sure. And I'll tell you straight up, you know, but. Yeah. You make the decision as a collective unit in all of our best interests, not your own. Yes. Which which in the future, we need to establish getting both data points for both of us and agreeing that we can collectively come to the right decision. But regardless, so played against blue-black, 
my first thought is, oh, crap, I'm going to get beat up by Jerry's brainworm in the first round of the tournament. This is hilarious. Um, but luckily, they stumble a little bit, and I win the first round. Round two, I get paired against Ramp. I win the first game pretty easily. Game two, I have a fantastic draw and play Stomper into Stomper. My opponent misses a land drop. And this is the Elishnorn situation. So I think the sequence went, he played Stomper on the play. I go for the throated it. Then he missed a land drop. Or I untapped and played a Stomper. Then he missed a land drop. I played a second one. And then I played a battle and he played an Elishnorn. So okay. he's, I, I'm up like nine lands to five at this point and I have two Stompers to his Elishnorn. Yeah. And I cast the Cruelty of Gix with, I had, I had like a Leyline Binding, a battle, and something else in my hand. All stuff that Elishnorn shuts down. All stuff that Elishnorn shuts down. And my plan is to like Cruelty of Gix minus, or for put it into play on two, get Go for the Throat, Go for the Throat his thing, attack my battle and him for four. I'll have three creatures in play with a reanimate on the following turn. And there's an incredibly long judge ruling. We, we're like, my opponent like thinks my cruelty just goes right into the graveyard. He's like, that thing doesn't have counters on it. I'm like, nah, I, I kept equating the situation back to Fable of like, I know Fable works with Elishnorn. So long story short, super long judge call. A lot of back and forth. Judges are trying their hardest to do the right thing. And they like seem like reasonably intelligent people. Like I never got the instinct that they didn't like have a strong handle of what was going on. But there was clearly some debate. And they started to make a ruling at one point, And then a different judge interrupted them and went back. Whatever. Eventually, they rule that the, the saga is going to come into play. And I'm not going to get the trigger of whatever I put it on. And when I originally casted it, I just put a dice on two right on it. So then my opponent's like, well, judge, he put it on two. So it should just be on two, right? He doesn't get the trigger. And the judge let me walk that back and let me put it on one, but says I don't get the trigger. And the idea is the following turn, I'll get to put it up to two and search. Okay. I don't quite agree with this, but like given the number of the head judge has been involved for a while already at this point. So given all of this that happens, we move on. So... We we should not get into this now, but I'm realizing that I saw this and I don't think I sent it to you, so I'm going to send it to you on Discord. Your opponent uh, made a little tweet thread about this this whole interaction. Oh, interesting. So interesting. I don't I don't want to derail you and like get into semantics or whatever. Sure, but, and I'm not going to read it because I don't want it to like influence my remembering of events. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, but just yeah. just so you have it for later, a fun little thing to read before bed. Yeah, I'm sure that will make me feel great. Um, <laughs> so some of the, the judge comes back over like, so my opponent on taps plays a ley line binding, exiles two of my things, including including my cruelty, and then uh, plays a battle and goes and gets four lands. Yep. I untap, none of my cards do anything. Because I was so far ahead to begin with, we end up playing like a pretty long game from this point. But I go from like having him dead to rights to like being slightly behind with a hand of cards that do nothing and like over the course of the next 10 minutes slowly lose the game yep as we're shuffling and sideboarding for game three head judge comes back over and says to both of us like how big of an impact do we think that ruling had on the game 
And I'm like, oh, it, it huge, massive. Like, it, 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 he was dead to rights. Also, um, that's a really fun question. Yeah. Uh, and just like, like, oh, God, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, like, for whatever it's worth, like, I also think it puts my opponent in, like, a virtual impossible situation. Because, yeah. like, a huge reason that it had such a big impact on the game is because, like, all of the cards in my hand are shut off because of this. Right? Um, so... I say that my opponent's like, well, it's really hard to tell whatever because they um, can't see your hand. Yeah. Yeah. They can't see my hand. Um, I mean, I didn't play spells for the next two turns, but yeah, I don't fault them for that for a second. I kind of laughed when he was like, well, it's hard. It's hard to say. I was like, it's hard to say. Um, but regardless, um, so that happens. He's like, all right, keep going. I think I know what I want to do. And my opponent at this point is like visibly nervous and like makes a comment about like hoping that he doesn't get disqualified or something. Right. And I'm like, I, I'm like, dude, like you, we, neither of us did anything wrong. Yeah. Right. Like the second something was weird, we called a judge. We did exactly what the judges told us. Yeah. And I'm, that's what you're supposed to do. You don't know how a ruling works. Judge, please fix it. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Um, so there's a little bit of chaos and whatever. We start playing game three. I mulligan on the play, keep a, a sketchy six on like the second or third turn of game three. The head judge comes back over and pulls me away from the table. More fun. And he, and he says. I need you to do your best to play out the remainder of the match as honestly as you can. But even if you lose this game, I'm going to give you the win. So, so I, I assumed this conversation happened before game three started. No, we were in game three. It's weird to like interrupt the game to tell you that, isn't it? I think so. But um, I don't know. It was a relatively like I'm not going to say it was super quick because this caught me like relatively off guard. But I like asked him to clarify quite a bit. and. Um, you could tell how guilty, I, I don't want to say guilty, but like they realized they messed up pretty quick. Yeah, right? I, I, I've been in like this exact scenario where I, I've gotten a, a game loss that a judge later realized was erroneous. And that judge for like the next four events I saw them at made it a point to come up to me and apologize. Like that is how bad that they feel in these scenarios. Yeah. And for whatever it's worth, like I had a pretty big amount of respect for the head judge and the way that he said it to me of like genuinely asking me to play the game as honestly as I could, regardless of the situation. Um, because and like him and I talked about it even more after the match of like the judge's role is to like maintain integrity of the tournament. Yep. And he's going to make every decision he can to the best of his ability at every single point to that end. And obviously the situation, once they make a wrong ruling that has this effect on the game, that's already out the window, right? The, the integrity of the tournament has been affected at least a little bit, right? So now his job is to try to figure out how to address that. And I think like by the time he realized what he went and did, I assume is went and figured out, is that even possible? Right. Does the software or the technology or the format or the rules even allow him to do that? Yeah. When he's like, I, I, I'm going to try something real quick. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah. Because I remember when he started to walk away, he said, I think I know what I want to do, but I have to confirm something. Yeah. Right. Um, so. Obviously, like I'm a little biased here because it was somewhat to my benefit, but I like I do have a pretty big amount of respect for the way that he handled it. Um, and I think that if the soonest he realizes he is able to do this is in the, in the middle of game three or the start of game three, there's like some amount of debate of like, 
do they let me play out the game and then tell me after? I think or, it's I think it's more likely that you play to the best of your ability like if you don't know this at any point. Yes. You know? And yes. so I think the rationale behind telling you that mid game is that so you don't I don't know like lose the match and then report immediately um otherwise they would have to have someone there watching the match waiting for you to finish which could yeah. make up resources. So it, it seemed like that was his logic of like he told me don't enter the result in melee or whatever no matter what and he also asked me not to let my opponent realize this in the match. Yeah, so then when you went back to the table what did you tell your opponent? So I didn't say anything. My opponent's like, what was all that about? And I said, he was just asking about the ruling. They clearly got it wrong. Okay. Got it. Um, Good cover. So that breaks out. I lose game three in pretty uneventful fashion. It was never really close. I had a bad hand on the play with a mulligan, and my opponent had a good draw. And the way the ramp mirrors go, that game ended really quick. Yep. Um, So... Kind of a weird situation. I, I was like really confused and I, I'm not going to say I was rattled or anything like that, but I was like, you know, a little dazed and confused after it all kind of went down. Yeah, just I, a weird scenario that you've never been in before, right? Yeah, and I've played a lot of magic tournaments. I've been in a lot of crazy situations, um, but I don't know. All things considered, like I, I have a pretty good amount of respect for the judge for the way that they handled it. Obviously, the ideal thing to do would be to get the ruling right the first time. Naturally. Right. But like, I think it, it, it kind of reminds me as a player, like when you're playing a game and you make a mistake, like, hey, the best thing to do from that moment is to like have a very short term memory and figure out what the best thing you can do from that point forward is. And I think the way that they owned it and addressed it was nothing short of, you know, respectful and um, yeah. I I categorize this as kind of above and beyond in terms of maintaining tournament integrity. Yeah, it's a bold move, right? Like this is something that's certainly like I've never heard of happening before. And if the judge makes a judgment call like this, it's certainly like pretty high risk for him. Yeah. To do this, right? There's the potential to set a bad precedent too because it doesn't necessarily incentivize you to get your ruling right the first time. Yeah. Although it, yeah. I I think that most people try to do so anyway, just because they they take pride in their work, you know. So I I don't think that this like is going to affect things negatively going forward or anything. I just think that there are reasons to not do it this way. Yeah, I think you have to be very cautious about it, right? And the fortunate part about this situation is that like the likely like how ahead and likely I was to win the game from that state given the right ruling was like pretty significantly high. Whereas like if it had been earlier in the game and it would have just put me a good amount ahead, but like not been the game was not as close to a conclusion, I right. think it would have been a little bit more awkward of a situation and less clear of what to do. Yeah, I agree. And and you said like it's it's weird because it ended up being in your favor, but like you could have won game three and then that's in your opponent's favor potentially. Yeah. So. Um, All right. So 2-0. 2-0. Two two um, I sit down. So 2-0, flustered. I guess things are going my way or whatever. Um, Play another ramp mirror in round three and I just get absolutely annihilated. Um, played two games, 
reasonably good draws. My opponent was just one step ahead of me and just kicked the crap out of me. Um, and he ended up going XO in the Swiss and crushing a bunch. So like shout out and props to him and Austin guy who's friends with Brian. Um, definitely knew what he was doing and made me feel a little very humbling round for me. Cool. Knocked off that horse pretty quick. Um, so then two and one rattle off a bunch of wins in a row pretty quick. I had a couple of easy rounds in a row. I beat soldiers and then I played against two more ramp mirrors. And I feel like I had the ramp mirror figured out at that point. I ended up playing against the ramp mirror four times. Um, and then beat soldiers again. So I guess I beat soldiers three times in that tournament, twice in the Swiss and then once in the top eight. Beat soldiers again to be able to now I'm six and one. Okay, cool. Six and one. And by this point of the tournament, uh, I think like uh, right after you dropped. So what? That was round five. Uh, yeah, three, two. Yeah. So right after you dropped, Corey pulled me into the feature match area. So Corey had his little backpack stream set up. There was like six tables in a feature match area, like in the center. And just like Corey had a few players at all times that their rounds were just like permanently in the feature match area. So after round five, he moves me in there and like, this is great. You get your own space and like, you don't have to look up what table you're at. You just sit there and your opponent comes and finds you. Yeah. Definitely has its benefits. Yeah. So I really enjoyed like that aspect of things. Um, So I'm just, I end up playing like two longer rounds and just like sitting there the whole time. I like basically don't even get out of my seat. Just camping. Yeah. Camping out. Um, And Brian also got moved into the feature match area, right? So he's camping out right next to me. So we're both in the feature match area. Christine's got a seat right in between us. It was actually kind of, kind of fun. Um, But the, I checked the, they, they announced pairings for the last round go up. I quickly open my phone. I see that I'm the, I look at the standings and just see that I'm the three seed. I don't even look at where I'm, who I'm paired against or what table I'm at. like, those aren't things that are of my concern. And again, this is probably a mistake in retrospect. Um, my opponent starts walking up to the table. I look at him and before he even gets to the table or sits down, I just ask him, are we drawing? And he says, yeah. And I shake his hand, I think. Yeah. And then he, puts it in his phone and walks away. I never even open my phone or think anything of it. Cool. Super long story short, he ended up getting ninth. Not great. Which, the only real reason I know this is because you asked me if I played against somebody. And I'm like, you texted me and we're like, did you play against somebody French? Yeah. I was like, which, which was Victor. Which was Victor. And we'll get to that a little bit more. I was like, I don't think so. And I went and looked up the name of my opponent. And I was like, no, I played against this guy named Aaron. And then never connected the dots on any of this until way after the fact. But then after they announced the, as the last round finishes and they're starting to announce the top eight, I pull up my phone again and I see this guy named Aaron in ninth. And I'm like, oh shit. That was my opponent. So immediate guilt. I start trying to look through melee to see is there a way I can see what the standings look like with one round to go. Assume that my opponent was just like the last of all of the X ones and drew himself in a ninth. Yeah. So me, you, Brian, we debate this. We talk a little bit about it, about how like I think you and I are both pretty aligned here of like the obligation that you have, not just to yourself, but to your opponent to make sure that like whatever decisions are being made are in both of your best interests. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about this over the course of the weekend, and I I feel 
pretty strongly about this for me specifically, where I'm I'm a community figure. I think that part of my job is to ensure that people have fun at these events, which I think a lot of people might find kind of weird or whatever. But like, I whether or not uh, anyone wants to do this in any official capacity or whatever, it's like I am an ambassador for the game of Magic, you know, and. Yeah. I, I think that that does a lot. That means a lot. And it means that anyone who, you know, wants to come up and talk to me, like they are entitled some amount of my time. And I want that time to be spent enriching their weekend. I want all of my opponents to say that, you know, they had a good, fun, clean match against me, things like that. And I want to make sure that in, in situations like this, that like my opponent doesn't do anything silly. And like draw themselves into ninth or whatever, you know, and like that is just a thing that I I put on myself. Yeah. And not only do I find that admirable, but I also think it's just like genuinely the right thing to do. And uh, listen, I think I'm not going to say like everybody must or expect everybody else to do the same. I think that like knowing that it's not in your opponent's best interest to draw and trying to convince them to is just like actively scummy. I agree with that. And I think a lot of people will agree with that. So then where does it, where, where in the line is like, you know, maybe not looking at what your opponent's spot is just your own so that you can maintain some plausible deniability if they are in a bad spot. Yeah. And I think at like a professional level event, I don't hate the looking what's in your best interest and making them an offer, no convincing, whatever. But that's at a professional level event where I have like some level of expectation that my opponent's doing the same. And I think that like coming to other events like the one that we were at here, I feel very differently. Where I don't have the same level of there's not the same level of competition and maybe there's not the same level of experience. And I don't think it's as reasonable for me to assume or expect that all of my opponents are doing the same. And that's where I feel some level of obligation to like look and check and validate that what we're doing is in their best interest. Right. And I told you this after, like I saw I was in the three seed, like it didn't even cross my mind. And, yeah. and well, okay. So here's the big thing, right? Is that because normally, especially in, in a smaller tournament where like in, in Grand Prix or Pro Tours or whatever, it is entirely possible that the top seeds have all played against each other. So yeah. then pairings get really weird potentially, but yep. in an eight round Swiss tournament, uh, it pairing top down, is the thing that is supposed to happen. And even if it does, it's not going to pair you against the person who was in seventh, like where your opponent was. Like maybe you get, if you can't play the fourth seed for whatever reason, you get paired against like five or six. Yeah. And we even thought my, at this point in time, we, we thought my opponent was eighth because there was nine people at X1 or better. So if my opponent was actually the eighth seed, the dead last, uh, or it's not, not the dead last. Like, obviously, like, hypothetically, one of these nine people are going to get pared down, which means the seventh and eighth seed are then at risk of if they draw. If the pair down wins and seven, eight, seven and eight draw, one of them's not going to make it. Right. If it's top down. Yes. Um, so we talked about this at length during the last round. I feel some level of guilt, remorse for not checking and verifying and validating. 
whatever. I move on. Well, th- this is the same thing as the judge scenario where like the best thing that you can do is not beat yourself up over it now, but just like, you know, do better conduct yourself. Yeah. Conduct yourself differently in the future. However, yep. however you decide, you know, best serves you and your interests. Yeah. And like, listen, like none of these are excuses or whatever, but like between melee being in the feature match area, not like being able to look down and see the top tables and who else is doing what, not like actually ever looking at the pairings. Like all of these things are things that made the mistake that I made easier to make, but in by no means are an excuse for the situation. Yeah. And are we drawing is very much a question of like, have have you done the math? Are you able to draw? Because you have like looked at it and you know that you yourself are safe. Yeah. You're basically asking your opponent if they're safe and they're just like, yes, I would like to draw. And at that point, it's like you have no reason to not believe them. Like there was not even an ounce of hesitation. Right. Right. And like had there even been the tiniest of bits, like, listen, the round hadn't started yet. Like we still were allowed. We still could have easily like pulled up our phones and checked. And if there was even like a little bit of hesitation, we could have easily looked at it. Yeah, if your opponent was like, I don't know, can you help me? It would have been like, all right, game on, you know, like, let, let's go figure this out, right? But yeah, that didn't happen. or even like just says, I'm not sure. Yeah. Right. Boom. Like never been here before. Not really sure. Like, let's look at it then. Um, but long story short on this one, as we eventually, as I eventually make it to the top four and we're like talking about a split or whatever, one of the other guys is like, makes some comment about how he's surprised he's even here because he w- he thought he drew himself in a ninth. Yeah. So this, <laughs> so we have identified the person who was in eighth now. Yes. Yes. And he makes a comment about how his breakers jumped, you know, more than 3% in the last round to put him into eighth, which I'm not going to lie, like definitely lifted some weight off of my shoulders and like made this a little bit easier to think about. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, my actions or whatever. And next time I, you know, fully intend on doing more and better. And I think the obligation that, folks should have in situations like this and like what I would like people to do like friends of mine and I will certainly put pressure on my friend group to do this is to like at least make sure that what your opponent is doing that they're aware of the risks yeah and that's all I want to do too it's like I I don't want to like force them to do the thing that's in their best interest or whatever I can't I can't do that I can simply relay the information to them and then what what they choose to do with it is up to them but like I you know People like me, you, Costa, we've we've all had conversations about like if a matchup is 40-60, like you're the 40, and in order to make top eight with a draw, or say like you draw in order to get knocked out, two matches would have to go against you. So like you'd have to lose two coin flips effectively. Well, then mathematically, that is the better decision unless you specifically want to have agency be in control of your own destiny and like play the match to determine it, right? Yeah. But it's and like I, your, your opponent may decide one or the other depending on who they are on any given day, but it's like they should have that information. Yep, and it's their decision to make. Correct. Um, and like, hey, you could argue it's their decision to make either way, but like I think making, like given the experience that we have and especially at these like, you know, lower than professional level tournaments, like, the more experienced players, like, I think, owe it to the other folks in the community to, like, help with that. I agree. And there's, I mean, I, I didn't even, like, think to ask about this or whatever, but it's like, did, why did the person who was in eighth draw? I, yeah, it didn't even cross my mind. I mean, it, like, great question. And um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Because clearly he realized, at, at least at the point that he made the top eight, about like what situation he put himself in. Yeah, and I, I feel like that is probably a thing that he realized after the fact or whatever. But like that is the type of thing that just goes to show that like people will do the math and maybe it's not optimal math and they'll figure that out later. Um, or there's a non-zero amount of people who think that like X11 is guaranteed in top eight. So if they are X and one, they get to draw into top eight in the last round. And that's not how it works every time. You know, it's like you only know if you've been in this position a decent amount of times. And certainly yeah. not everyone has. So, yeah. And listen, sometimes the math is like more straightforward and more clear. And other times it gets really messy, um, at least like on the agency topic quick, because I do have like a lot of strong thoughts and opinions here. And I've had a lot of very long and lengthy debates with friends in long car rides about this of like, I'm of the opinion that like, if you think you have any more agency with your decision to draw or play or, versus a game of magic, I think you're crazy. And I think that your, my role in a tournament is to make as many decisions continuously as I can to maximize my chances of winning that tournament. And if my odds of winning the tournament go up with a draw, I'm going to draw. Yeah. Right. And if my odds of winning the tournament go up by playing, I'm going to play. Yeah, I get and, that. It, it's silly to just be like, oh, well, I'm feeling it or whatever, you know, yeah. but like that is that is true to some degree, even though you can't quantify it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. And like, Listen, like, it, yeah, I there's there's some amount of feel bad, right? If you draw and don't make it because a, num a cascade of, of, you know, things happen that lead to you getting ninth or 10th. And I've been there. I've, I've, I've gotten ninth on breakers in a pro tour. I've gotten ninth on breakers in Grand Prix. Like it's happened to me many times. Um, but I, I think all you can do is make every decision you can with the interest of maximizing the tournament. And I think that if you think you're, quote unquote, in control of your own destiny, by playing a match of magic, you're crazy. <laughs> like there's so much randomness and elements of luck and variance in it. And that's what makes the game great. But like you, you are not solely in control of that. You are gambling. No, nah, but it, it feels better to like play the match for it versus like leave it up to chance, even though I don't know, each individual game of magic is kind of a game of chance anyway. Right. So. I, I think for some people it does. Um, at least, me and like maybe this is me just like forcing myself to think this way is that like I want to look back and think I made every decision the best I could. Yeah. Right. And yep. if I made a decision to play when the right decision mathematically was to draw, that's a mistake. Yeah. And I think that they will look back on it and be like, oh, I want to like put everything in my hands. You know, they're going to feel bad for like similar reasons, but a different reason. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel better or whatever. But yeah. Um, Listen, everything we do is calculated risks in my mind, right? I kept the two-land hand on the draw, man. Didn't draw a third land. To me, that's the same. All right. Well, let's let's talk about your your top four setup now. What's going on? Cool. So win my top eight match against blue-white soldiers pretty quickly, pretty handedly. I just had two great draws in a row. My opponent also had good draws, but when the ramp deck has good draws, it just feels great. So the games were like a little bit close, but over pretty quickly. Um and as I finish my match, there's one of the other two matches are still are like winding down and there's a ramp mirror in the corner. That's the fourth match. And they're still playing or whatever. So I tell the head judge, hey, I'm like going to go for a walk. I'll be back. So clear my head, talk to you guys for a little bit, walk back over there 10 or 15 minutes later. They're still playing. And like somebody whispers to me like they're still in game one. Oh, no. Yeah. And 20 minutes after that, they were still in game one. So they played, 
I want to say over an hour long game one. And I watched like a handful of turns when they both had 14 lands in play and five cards plus in hand each. They weren't playing slow. Okay. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're not blisteringly fast either on timed rounds. But like as somebody who like was really tired and very interested in getting to dinner and doing something like I did not have any problem with the pace of play that they had. And um, it was a very close and tight game. And frankly, a great game of magic. Um, And one that I think they're both quite fortunate didn't happen in the Swiss because I don't even think it would have ended 1-0. I think it would have been 0-0. Yeah. But um, yeah, they end up... I asked the judge, I'm like, hey, I'm on the other side of the bracket. So I'm like, hey, can I like play my side of the bracket? Why, Why they're going. And... He thinks about it. The head judge and I at this point, have, we're, we're chatting a little bit because of this other situation. It's like, well, that makes like, you know, if there's going to be a prize split or whatever, like everything gets weird. So I kind of laugh at him and I'm like, well, what about if I just tell you we're not going to prize split right now? Can I play then? Um, and then long story short, I'm like, this is it, it was more complicated than it was worth. We just let them play the match. They end up playing three games, all good games, and it went two plus hours. And we're all exhausted. We want to go to dinner. And the me and the other few guys in the top four are standing there. And two of them, the top two people get RC invites. Two of us had RC, two of them had RC invites already. Me and the other guy didn't. And so, it's, it's the people who are not in your bracket, right? So we didn't get, we didn't realize that quite yet at this point. Okay. But like the four of us are like, well, we should just prize split and move on. And let's like just go to dinner. Um, so navigating all of this and all of that stuff is complicated. So the head judge at this point, like walks over and is like, you guys should stop talking. Yep. Tells us to shut up. So we all shut up. He kicks everybody else out of the area. And he's like, right now, the question is, do you want a price split? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Can I explain the reason why? Yes. So <laughs> yeah, ba- basically you can can talk about like splitting the prize but it is very weird to introduce something outside of that into the equation like we will prize split but only under the condition that like you scoop to me and you you scoop to this person or whatever you know yeah it can never be conditional yes exactly so uh prize split first and then we can have the other discussion but we have to do it in the right order so one of the other people asked the judge and like for whatever it's worth, like um, Vic and the other guy, I can't remember his name, that both had the invites already. They're kind of the ones props to them and respect. They're, they were the ones like pushing it almost. Um, so I think it was Vic that asked the head judge, like, are we able to give the two invites to these guys? And like, we don't even know which side of the brackets people are on yet. Mm-hmm. And he's like, right now, the head judge just repeats himself. Like right now, all we can talk about is the price split. Exactly. First things yeah. first. Yeah. So I asked him, well, what's what's the bracket? Right. Because like we can ask that like that's just a statement of fact. Mm-hmm. Right. And we realize, hey, two of us that do not have the invite are on the same side of the bracket. So. Pretty quickly, we just all agree, like, let's just price split. So the judge makes us all sign the form, says we're splitting the prizes. He's like, all, everybody has to sign that before we talk about anything else. We all sign that and then we're done. And then once the price split is established and completed, the judge is like, now anybody that wants to drop from the tournament can drop from the tournament. 
I love that. It, okay, that's beautiful. I, I love this head judge. Yeah, I thought he handled it really well. And I had no problem with integrity or any of that. Like he didn't like lead the witness or anything like that. But I, I right. thought he did a really good job. Yeah. And also simultaneously prevented anyone from saying some stuff that would get them in trouble. Absolutely. But Absolutely. But, th- but then like, yes, suggested the correct way to do it, which is for the people to drop. Uh, not like, you know, oh, you have to concede or like, yeah, it's like you basically have to tell them, right? Because I, I don't know if if y'all would have figured it out yeah like listen this is how i thought it worked but i was by no means confident in my understanding of that yeah right so if anybody told me this is how it worked i would have been like yeah that's that i agree um and if if somebody asked me how do i think it works i would say it like this but this is an incredibly unique situation right um cool so that happens me and we all handshake now we me and my my opponent in the quarter or the semis or whatever both had rc invites and that was great and we're all gonna about to walk away to go to dinner and the judge is like well somebody's got to be the winner we need the photo op we need the photo so we ask him like can we just take a top four picture like let's just take a top four picture um he's like well i need to write a winner on the paper like the paper right here says like winner so i'm like i like to win i'll be the winner (laughs) <laughs> and my, we're all kind of like laughing and my opponent like look, laughs at me. He's like, sure, Dave can be the winner. So I got democratically elected the winner. Okay. Um, and then we didn't, none of us realized there was a trophy or anything like that. Not that, I, I don't know that that would have affected the decision in any way. But then they're like, all right, you got to come over here. Like there's a trophy. And my opponent looks at me like, there's a trophy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I, I think that might have changed things, honestly. Yeah, and I think it would have too. And like, not listen, not, this all happened like at surprisingly quickly. Like this was all over the course of like, you know, five or 10 minutes. Not a lot of time went by. Like we were exhausted. And yeah, I was trying to get out of there. I mean, it, you you mentioned dinner a couple of times, but like we still have a tournament to play the next day too. Oh, for sure. Yep. And like we all just been sitting there for like an hour plus waiting. Right. Right. So there's a friend group from each person, like all like waiting to drag them. I'm like swearing at Brian and Christine. Like if you guys go get dinner without me, like our relationship is over. <laughs> <laughs> like do not even think about it. Um, yeah. So probably one of the weirdest tournaments I've ever quote unquote won without winning. Um, so but- th- this is this is all the stuff where I, I tweeted uh he didn't deserve it, but he won. And obviously, deserve is uh, quite the loaded word, right? You know, but a lot of a lot of like funny stuff happened. I none of that tweet was meant to say that like you didn't play good magic and like put yourself in a good position to be there and everything, because like you certainly did. And I, the the judge ruling in round two specifically, like that wasn't even a thing that happened that was in your favor. Like you should have won the match and also not had the additional stress from it. Yeah. You know, like if anything, it put more pressure on you and like probably similar to like drawing with someone and seeing that they're in ninth or whatever. It's like your headspace has not got to be great going into that top eight. Yeah. Um, a lot of things could have gone a tiny bit differently, right? My opponent could have asked me to play in the last round. I, the judge could have, not realize their mistake until after the match had concluded. Any of these number of these things would have um could have not, could have realized it and not tried to give you both the win. Not done the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, uh certainly like way more than a couple of things broke my way, 
right? Not to, n- not the least of which is just like me having perfect draws in the top eight, right? Like a lot of things have to go your way to like win a tournament to begin with. And this one felt like, you know, a lot of things went my way and then some. I mean, the big asterisk to me is that you did not have to play out top four or finals. Oh, I agree. I agree completely. So the running joke as we're going to dinner is, well, if I win tomorrow, did I go back to back? And you and I are, Brian and I are cracking up talking to you about it. You're like, absolutely not. Like, whatever. Like, and it's all just like in good fun, right? It's just the spirit and the fun of the conversation. The, The craziest part is Vic, who was in the top four of that event, ends up winning the event the next day. Right. Also, also, I, I I don't know if he he if he like goes by Vic or not. I know like you know Victor is what people call him. Okay, Vic, Vic is like very much uh, a different person to me. All right, y- you know I'm with you. There's yeah two Vics, Vic, Victor. I'm okay. I'm, I'm with you. Okay, so uh yeah, Victor was in in top four playing soldiers. Also friends with Esper. Robin. Uh, oh, he was Esper. Yeah. Oh, okay. I I thought he was soldiers, and then like. Robin is his friend, and I thought that they got to play like soldiers together. I thought that was really cool. So now I'm a little disappointed, but oh well. Uh, so also on Friday, Victor won one of the RCQs. Yeah. So he's the one who kind of initiated and like was like, oh, two of us already have invites or whatever. So like as the paperwork's happening, I'm like, oh, you know, how do you qualify? And he's like, oh, I won one of the modern RCQs yesterday. Yeah. So and I'm like, dude, you're on a heater. Yeah, so him winning the day before was also like what facilitated the top four split and you getting an invite potentially. A hundred percent. So I'm asking him, Oh, you want a modern RCQ? What'd you play? And he said, Scam. And I said, Oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> We're anyway. not friends. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I was congratulating him on being on a heater and for a sick run right there. Lo and behold, he will he wins like twelve matches in a row the next day. Yeah. Absurd yeah. run. And totally I don't absurd. know. I don't know what happened in that top eight. Like if it all got played out or whatever. But like, dude, I don't. I don't care. No, he, he absolutely crushed the weekend. Absolutely annihilated it. Um, so, yeah, big props to him. That's like a pretty crazy, absurd run. Three days in a row. I think he had one loss. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't care what your matchups are, what your deck is, what your who your opponents are. Like, it's hard to win five matches of Magic in a row, let alone whatever that was. Yeah, in different formats, no less. Yeah, yeah, absolutely absurd. Just exhausting, too. Like, that's just like, I was exhausted. I played like five rounds the next day. I could barely, I was like, I need I need a nap. I mean, same. Yeah. <laughs> Hard same. And it's it's funny because I, I do believe that he, he probably went there, you know, trying to get an RCQ invite and it's just like... He got three? Yeah, you got so many. <laughs> yeah, what do I do with all of them? Yeah, why did it take you so long to get one? I don't because he said he had like ten plus top eights and like RCQs leading up to this too. Yeah, and that's not super surprising to hear. Like, listen, like heaters like this usually don't just come out of nowhere. They're usually like the culmination of hard work and preparation, and like you can usually heat up before this happens, right? Yeah. So that's not surprising to hear at all. And very, very clear that uh, he, he just wants it, you know. And I love it. Absolutely love it. Love it too. Those are the people that I want to see do well. Yeah. Big fan. So uh, my, my standard was uh, I, I started three Oh and then got beat up by the green black mirror, which is kind of funny since like 
you know, everyone like poo-poos the deck and it's like, man, I lost this deck that, that's so bad, this bad green black deck, even though it's a <laughs> match. Yeah. And then uh, round five, I get paired against Robin, who I gave the soldier's cards to. And uh, she is a person in a similar boat to someone uh, like Victor, who's like traveling a bunch and playing a bunch, trying to get RCQ invites and stuff. And just to confirm when I got to the table, I was like, are you qualified yet? She said no. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to see because yeah. I'm just done. Um, also, I don't know. It's it's weird where my deck also just like had a, a ton of stuff for her. Like I have, you know, Night Clubber in my deck and like Path of Perils and Gix's Commands and stuff like that. And it's like, it feels weird to me to like give out this small creature deck to someone when my deck will probably destroy small creature decks. I Yeah, I would, I would take the probably out of that statement, but. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's still magic, right? But yeah, I don't you know. can lose any matchup no matter how good it is. But like we that's probably a matchup that's like in green black's favor to begin with with stock deck lists. And then sure. you have a above average number of great cards. For that I matchup. have I have way more stuff than the average person does. Yeah. yeah. And for whatever it's worth too, like, you know, that was the theme. And I think what to your credit, like what helped me do well in the tournament with ramp is like. We both respected ramp on a level that I don't think the rest of the room did. Sorry, respected uh, soldiers. Yeah, I I agree with that, but I also think that the majority of the room probably like just picked up a deck and and probably didn't practice all that much, which is understandable given that it's you know not standard season, standards not super supported. This was like SCG's effort to try and get a little something going in regards to standard. You know, like this is why they made it uh, their their Saturday event because they wanted to give it the best chance it could to succeed. And like, this is, this is direct from Jared Silva. You know, like I, I actually talked to him for a little bit on Sunday and it was, it was cool hearing that from them, you know? Yeah. And also yeah. just like testing the waters, like not, it could be to give standard a chance cause they want to build it up, but it could also just be to like test it out and see like, is this something people are interested in? And while I don't love a lot of some of the more recent changes to the Star City circuit at, from like a personal level, like I do like the idea of them just trying different things and seeing what works. Absolutely. And them having something that is both successful for them and sustainable is like very much in my best interest because I enjoy these events and would like them to continue to happen. Agreed. Yeah, this this one was kind of like even more wild because there was like, uh, a flesh and blood grand prix and there was like my hero academia nationals and like all these other like big events in the room yeah there was like a doctor who release like there was just like yeah. the, the the flyer for it just had like 16 different things um you we could say the standard event was like the quote-unquote headliner but like it had the exact same prize pool as the event on sunday and had less than half the number of players in it right and saturday to sunday attendance like saturday is usually way higher oh all else equal like let's just pretend it goes 10k saturday 10k uh, both modern same price pool and same everything i would expect the saturday tournament to be like quite a bit higher yeah i mean it's it's gonna have i don't know like maybe sundays is gonna have like 75 percent if that yeah if if i had to guess that's about the line that I would I would put. I think that's a pretty good line. And that's like same formats, same prize payouts. I would guess you have like, yeah, 25% fall off. Yeah. 
Um, and I think there was like somewhere just under 150 players in the standard and just under 300 in the modern on Sunday. Yeah. And I, basically all of my opponents I played against on Sunday in the modern, I asked if they played the previous day and they're like, yeah, I played side events or like, hell no, I was, you know, I chose to do something else instead of play standard or whatever. It was yeah. like, okay. Let's just say there's not going to be a modern on Sunday, standard on Saturday event again for a little bit. Probably I not. I mean, you know, they they did their best to try and try and give it a chance. And we're not there yet, I think, is yeah. what they learned. So. Listen, we even had a hard time getting like standard cards from the dealers. And I don't even mean like obscure cards or like yeah. mythic rares or like expensive rares. I just mean like basic stuff like the the room just isn't wasn't prepared for it. Also, it's like a weird time to have a standard event as the headliner because it's like a little bit of a stale format, like the new sets coming out soon. Um, I mean, it would make more sense to me, like just after a new set where like maybe you want to showcase the new cards. People are going to get excited about that. To be fair, I don't think it was that long ago that that Beanstalk came out, right? That's fair. Yeah. The World Championships was exactly a month ago. Okay. So the yeah. World Championships was like end of September, mid-September 20th or something like that. Yeah, maybe this month, uh, me being unmedicated is just a blur. Maybe it actually went by faster than I thought. But sure. I'm more, I would say like, hey, if I was giving advice to like Star City or other tournament organizers, like if there ever is a weekend or a time to like showcase standard, I do think it's like pretty close on the heels of a new set coming out. I think both it can drive sales for the vendors to like get new cards. I also think there's a little bit more excitement around like the new set, the new cards are going to have a bigger impact on standard than they are on Pioneer or Modern, hypothetically. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. But I think the this location was a specific draw for them where like they could try to hype up standard in Dallas which historically has had massive turnouts like both in like previous opens with things like the Hunter Burton Memorial like any Grand Prix that they had in the area like Dallas just has like a, a massive uh, accessible player base yeah you know whereas Dude, Fort Worth is sweet it is whereas you might not see the same thing in in like Ohio or whatever um so I don't know. I, th I think the location matters more than like where it is in relation to a set release. But yeah, if they, if they could have done both, that probably would have been the perfect opportunity. But I think it still probably would have had roughly the same result. Yeah. I'm yeah. just trying to think of like if I had to power rank and like select the events for next year that I'd be interested in traveling to, knowing that like given family life obligations i can only you know pick and choose which ones i go to like the ones that would be more appealing for me are going to be the standard events that are like right on the heels of a new set that feels and sounds more exciting yeah at the very least it's going to be you know fresh and fun right yeah. whereas this was just people copy pasting decks from worlds which as you noted was a month ago with not a whole lot of uh changes in or, or innovations happening uh i think that probably you know the, the two decks that we played were maybe the most different out of things that I saw in the field. So Yeah. And listen, they they weren't that different. They weren't that different. It was like <laughs> 10 cards or whatever, but you know. Yeah. I did some work. Uh anything else in regards to standard? Um I think like props to you on the cruelty of Gix. If I had to like pick a card or a difference maker in what we did and what made our deck different i think we did two things that were really smart and you did them and i listened 
is one, we had way more wraths and respect for the small creature decks. Um, so we had five wraths main and three more in the sideboard. And that was pretty critical. And then we had a mirror match plan that you actually figured out when building green black of playing cruelty of Gix and trying to like make sure that you have go for the throat or a way to kill a Traxa and then play cruelty and reanimate it. And that played out almost perfectly for me. And I beat two ramp mirrors down the stretch to make the top eight. And it was on the back of cruelty. Hell yeah. How was Shadow Prophecy? Dude, I mean, I, Shadow Prophecy is my boy. Um, I love Shadow Prophecy. Um, for So we played Shadow Prophecy, one main, one board instead of, and we didn't play Beanstalk. And the, the general idea here is just like a little bit more velocity on the card draw. And the I think that against like the blue decks specifically, that is smart and makes sense and is good. And it's actually a pretty big part of my plan against soldiers. And I, I didn't actually talk to you about this, but um, I was playing the Shadow Prophecies in my deck against soldiers um, and just boarding out a bunch of my expensive stuff and just like I had a bunch of sweepers and Shadow Prophecy was my grindy card. So like if everything goes according to plan, I can play my sweepers two for one them and then use Shadow Prophecy to pull ahead. And if I stumble a little bit and don't have my sweeper at the right time or something to do early, I can play Shadow Prophecy to get me there. And it's going to yep. help get me there a lot better than Beanstalk could. Yep. Yeah, in think, general, I would be boarding out the the clunky cards against them, like Invasion and at least two of the Atraxas. I don't know if you felt yeah. like you want to get so three Invasion, three Atraxa were just the first six cards I cut every time. Awesome. Against Soldiers. And then play draw things. N th neither of those cards were in my deck post board. But then I even was shaving a herd migration um, like as just to like try to make this work. And I was really just trying to make sure that my curve was lower and that I was able to cast my spells and keep up with them on the early turns. Um, and having a card like Shadow Prophecy that like you never want to be casting that early against them. But like, listen, sometimes the games don't play out the way that you want them to. And sometimes you don't have your sweeper or you need an untapped land to play it. So you like Shadow Prophecy on turn three or four to help get you there. Yep. Um, it's just dig through time, man. It's really good. <laughs> it is really good. Um, and like, it still like makes my heart melt every time I cast it. And I've casted Shadow Prophecy a lot in modern and everybody still reads it like at least half the time. And I tell everyone that reads it, it's dig through time. And I think the the fourth time we gushed together about Shadow Prophecy, you finally told me the story about how initially you didn't like it. Oh yeah, this is a fully Ebes card. I give him all the credit in the world for it. Um, and him and I fought about it at dinner aggressively the night before, actually in Dallas, Fort Worth, about a year ago, right after it came out. And we had to go buy packs from the dealer because we didn't have enough of them to play the next day. Worth it. And, and Ebes, for whatever reason, is... Oh, Brian, sorry. Yeah, yeah I refer to my brother. I, I call him Ebes. Um, so, yeah, he, that, yeah, I had to buy a bunch of packs to get it. And he ended up going XO in the Swiss at that event. And that was the... I won the 5K the second day that weekend. So that's where our my relationship with Shadow Prophecy began. And also, Brian finished in the top 16 with Ramp. Yeah. Went 6-2, and two, had a pretty good tournament. Um, definitely bunted one of his rounds pretty badly, like right on board, just like forgot what one of his cards did, and that destroyed him. And he battled back, man. Um, he was pretty shook after that, and then he just won the next three rounds for um, a pretty respectable finish. I, I, I want to figure out how to light a fire under him like that, because that is exactly what that moment did. Yeah. You know, he's just like, 
that was silly. I'm not doing that again. I'm just going to beat the crap out of everyone. Yeah. Like, and I enjoyed it. Like, you know, he wins the next round in a pretty close match and he finishes it. And the first thing he says is just like, fuck, I can't believe I did that the round before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. It is like still like very much the only thing that's occupying his mind. But like that's a release after the match, not in his mind at all during the games. Right. So, um, yeah, good finish overall. And listen, I think we had a good deck with good plans. And um, yeah, it was fun. Tight. All right. Modern. Cascade Beanstalk uh, was initially doing some funky stuff like Force of Vigor main deck to be good against the other people who are also doing the weird stuff that we're doing. But uh, given things that were happening, like while all this stuff was blowing up where there was like an NRG team modern tournament and there's still like Magic Online results and also, you know, people chirping on the internet and stuff it didn't seem like not only was like cascade beans going to be the biggest deck in the room but i also didn't even think that it was de facto the only omneth deck i think people were still clinging to like the old ways with the, the one ring and whatnot so it was like okay we don't need that we don't need to go that far we will you know address it in post and everything just try and solidify things make sure that we are good against like the normie field uh basically from before this stuff popped up yeah and i think we were pretty locked in on the cascade deck pretty early and i had some success with it the week before and a lot of our debate and conversation leading up to this was just really about what's the right combination of cards to play in it yeah i mean a lot of ways to go about it dude so many and you got Tristan doing some crazy stuff with 70 cards and not really playing much red, more of a blue-white shell. Um, you have Anzi playing basically blue-white control with four beanstalks, but no cascade. There's a lot of people just like taking a very similar package of like four beanstalk, four leyline binding, four solitude, and then just like putting cards with it. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to go deeper, you can also look at like some of the zoo beanstalk decks and like, there was a RC thing, or it wasn't an RC. I think it was just like a big tournament in Europe this weekend where like the one Beanstalk deck that made top eight was Calibrated Blast. Yeah. I'm not even going to go there. That's out yeah. of my wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not my um, monkey, not my circus. Yeah. I think one of the subtly and secretly big impact cards in all of this, and like, I don't think it's that bold to say it, but like, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. It's just Leyline Binding. It's just like such a mainstay in all of these shells. And it's like the card that you see getting carried over into all of these different decks. Yeah. Um, yeah and if, if it did not exist, I think that you could jump through hoops to make Beanstalk work, but it makes it so splashable in everything. Yeah. And it makes the splash like all have like, you know, added benefits of like you already want to do it to make your Beanstalk cost less and or to make your binding cost less. And uh, it also just like answers so many random, weird, obscure permanents that like in a format as wide open as modern can be at times, especially in the earlier rounds of these big tournaments, just like having an answer all permanent is just like unbelievably valuable. Yeah, I don't I don't like it when things like binding are the best removal spell. I agree. It I like it, too it easy. It's boring. Yeah, I like it when there's a thing like Kolagon's Command where it is really powerful and generically good when people are kind of playing that card type, right? 
but there are definitely times when K Commander is not showing up at all. Yeah, it makes deck building a lot more interesting, right? Of like you have cards that are like or different, like removal is good if other different decks are more popular or less. So like that makes like this conversation of like, oh, well, what are we expecting this week and paying attention to kind of the evolution of the format, like really interesting. And we certainly don't have that right now. I will say, though, I was looking for the K-Command equivalent of things that are good against enchantments because of things like Beanstalk and Binding. And unfortunately for Modern, I just I don't think that one really exists. Yeah, I don't No, no, no one is jumping out to me. Um, I mean, the, the fact that I was willing to main deck a Force of Vigor, it's just like, oh, OK, I guess this is kind of the thing, even though it's like so heavy handed. Right. Yeah, it's kind of weird. If you have a deck that like Leyline Binding is like removing your important permanence, what's the best thing for you to do? The answer is probably play your own Leyline Binding. Yeah, and there's there's stuff like Haywire Might that is very targeted, but if your opponent doesn't have targets, it is a very weak card. Whereas K Command, you can at least like do stuff with, you know. Yeah, it might not be great or ideal, but it's less below rate than you know a random Haywire Might's going to be. Yeah, so. Our deck was pretty straightforward, and I was kind of worried about that. Um, but overall, I think I figured out roughly where everyone's head was at, uh, like what what the format was going to look like. And it did look like just a, a pretty normal, modern tournament, as if like this thing didn't exist. You know, like there's a lot of scam present, a lot of scam in top eight. Uh, my matchup spread was fairly diverse. Um, you know, play against like Scam, Hammer, Living Ends, uh, John Saga, things along those lines. And I'm very happy that I didn't do any of the weirdo kind of inbred stuff. And I'm especially happy that I didn't do like th- this is one of like the the like next level kind of things where if you really want to beat up on like the Beanstalk mirror, then you go the blue version with like Force of Negation and Commandeer main deck and stuff. But I think that it is very, very inbred and not good against the the generic modern format. Yeah. I think of all the variations that you and I were bouncing off of each other, like one of the things we were very consistent on is like four fury was something we wanted. Yes. Right. We were not going to move away from that. Yeah. And it's certainly because respecting creatures and whatnot, but I also think that there's a lot that you need to pay attention to in terms of, how good your beanstalks actually are and zero mana cards that trigger it is is where you want to be and just like having a bunch of them so i want fury and solitude in my deck and i want to start there not like you know i've played the ones with just solitude like basically just bant or whatever and it just like doesn't feel as good it doesn't make me want to jump through hoops to put beanstalk in play like this deck does yeah I feel like I actually get paid off when I do this, whereas I don't with the band versions. I agree. And for whatever it's worth, I, I do. I, I'll, I'll reiterate you giving yourself and us credit on like not getting too caught up in that arms race of winning these mirrors, because like that was certainly the topic of conversation that night. Yeah. Right. Which is like, how much are people going to do this and how how far or deep should we go to try to make sure we're beating these beanstalk decks? And I didn't play against a single other beanstalk deck. Yeah, and even, so we sit down in the feature match area, and Corey Bowmeister's got his backpack stream, and he's playing one ring four color. Yep. And this this is a dude who is one of the top threats in the tournament. He knows his stuff, and he has chosen to play the old version of the deck. 
yeah, without anything too crazy to win those mirrors. And I feel like with the Cascade version, at least we, we're a leg up on them. Yes, I agree with that. Um, so you and I had this conversation uh, about me being able to basically predict where people's heads are at, kind of like the zeitgeist of the magic community or whatever. And I have worked very, very hard, uh, especially since after I left Wizards and like made a more committed effort to just making good decisions, like good deck selection for tournaments to where I have refined that further. And I think one of the worst parts of my career early on, like one of the biggest kind of like gaps was lack of pro tour success. And I think because a lot of the stuff that I could do in PTQs week to week, I did not apply the same stuff to the pro tour. I just like put the events and the players on a pedestal and just assumed that they were going to be like, you know, having like the same level of thought as me and like doing the same sort of like leveling thing as me or whatever. And once I basically started treating those tournaments the same, my deck selection for Pro Tours got a lot better too. Amen. So and relatable. Yeah. Uh temper temper your expectations, you know, because oh I I mean obviously it varies like tournament to tournament, week to week, whatever, but like there are just going to be events where people do not buy into the hype and you need to be very calm and collected and, and rational about where you think that everyone is going to be. And you need to be very aware about whether or not you are existing in an echo chamber where like, you know, you and your five friends in your playgroup are very plugged into things. And maybe you all think that this thing is the nuts and, Therefore, everyone else is going to think that it is or whatever. But it's like, that's not how every single person approaches a magic tournament. Not everyone is, you know, uh, privy to like the same amount of results and information and whatnot as you are. Right. So, yeah, I think there's a pretty healthy amount of people on both ends of the spectrum of like, there is a good amount of people in that tournament this weekend that were just like playing the deck they were going to play no matter what. Right. Right. And like maybe didn't even pay attention to some of these results or maybe we're notionally aware, but like their card availability was not there or a number of different reasons. But like they were just going to play the same deck no matter what. And I think there's another number of other people that you're describing that like overreact to like some of the more recent changes and evolutions to this. Yeah. And I think the right place to be is is, you know, play, play the good thing and then react as much as is necessary, but certainly go no further. Yeah. You want to lean a little bit, but you don't want to like be too crazy or extreme about it. And you have to be like incredibly confident that like something is going to be a really high percentage of the field to do some of the extreme things that I see others do just because like an uptick of a handful of percent in the metagame. Right. So it was interesting. Like I, I think that Overall, the deck choice was good. We didn't have as much success as I would say the group did as a whole on Saturday in Standard, but I, I don't think that it was bad. And I do think that my tournament could have potentially gone further had there not been sort of like weird extenuating circumstances. Yeah. I mean, I think 
He gave it to Brian, went 2-2. I went 3-2. You went 4-2. So, like, not great records or anything, but, like, not horrible either. But, like, what caught me off guard is, like, I lost to, like, pretty normal stuff that I was, like, pretty excited and prepared to play against. And, like, things just, like, didn't go exactly my way. And, like, I think at least in the match that I that I heard about that you lost, like, kind of similar. Well, the, the first match I lost was to Hammer. And we're sitting in the feature match area. And I, I think my opponent's, like, fairly deliberate. And I I also don't think that my pace of play is is up to snuff for where I would want it. You know? And... There, there's a thing that you pointed out to me after the fact that I, I should have been aware of certainly is just like I should kind of expect that from my opponents sitting down in a feature match area even if it's not like the the glitz and glamour of like old feature match areas necessarily but like there's still something different about playing in a feature match area and certainly after my opponents uh, you know indicates that they, they know that I am a person like that they have heard my name before right it's like you can expect them to play noticeably a, a little bit more cautiously just like don't don't want to make mistakes or whatever don't want to be too sloppy etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh that that just creates some issues especially when i feel like i can't necessarily make up the difference yeah and it was certainly something that i felt right playing in, in it like i love it like pl- the playing in the future match area and the fact that like others get excited about the opportunity to do that and like the allure of all that i think that's some of the things that make some of the experiences of a tournament series like the star cities like appealing and great and i think they should lean into that more but like one of the implications of it is like it is super natural and totally reasonable and should even be expected for them to slow down a little bit so if you're going to be playing in the future match area every single round you should expect that to be like a small tax on the amount of round time you have Right. And then at that point, how does that or how should that affect my my deck selection or even like how I build my deck specifically, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that I don't know. I mean, I, I was kind of locked in and then Corey mentioned it, I think, on Friday. Maybe it was Thursday. I don't know. So like, it's not like I knew that I was going to be there up until right before the tournament. Um. So I, I I didn't have time to like change anything or necessarily adjust for it or whatever. But I've talked about how I've had time issues with like Omnath stuff in the past. And this deck is a little bit different. I think that honestly, it is like a little bit faster, but it still has those same inherent closing speed issues. And I mean, I, I went pretty long against Hammer and definitely my decisions were very rushed and there were periods where I was playing much faster and did not have time to even like think about the things that I was doing. I was like, I just need to like progress the game and I'm just doing everything on autopilot. And that leads to obviously like a lot of mistakes happening. I ended up losing the hammer. And then uh, there was a match against Jun Saga that I believe was like fully on camera that I won on turn five of turns where like, that game three, especially, was me doing the same thing. Like, I'm just acting on pure instinct. I'm just doing things. Yeah, and that's where, like, having reps with any deck helps a lot. And, like, I think we're both kind of a little bit not where we once were or even close to where we once were, just, like, 
with the dexterity of playing like with physical cards and then like the added complexity of playing a deck like this where like the round one game one of the tournament i cascaded with a bloodbraid elf or i cascaded with shard of the sage one turn very next turn play bloodbraid elf and flipped right past it to fairy yeah and like get a, i get a grv and now every time i cascade for the rest of the tournament i'm just going slow yep and like yo that taxed me two minutes around right and like these are things that like reps and experience are gonna like not just help me be able to figure out what to do quicker, but they're going to give me the confidence to like step on the gas pedal. Yeah, I think for me, it's not so much like dexterity or uh, I don't know, like being able to like make decisions quickly or whatever. It's like getting used to playing live and my brain needing to process information as, as quickly as it used to. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, you know, Hammer and Jun Saga are are definitely decks that exist and I have played against, but like, I don't know, when I think back to like how many times I played like Delver Mirrors or like Cobblade versus Valakut or whatever, it's just like my brain is firing on all cylinders because I've been here before. You know, I've done this like a hundred times and I don't think that there's a single matchup in Magic right now where I could say the same. Yep. Relatable. So it's it's also tough, too, because, you know, I had people say just like, oh, well, like tell your opponents to play faster. And it's like, OK, that's that's fine. That is that is definitely a potential solution to the problem. But I recognize that I myself am also part of the problem, like I'm playing faster than them, but I'm not playing faster than I know that I'm capable of. And also, once I, I prod them once and nothing changes, I don't necessarily want to continue badgering them about it even though, I mean, it is in our best interest that we finish the match or whatever, but like, I don't want to be an asshole, so. I couldn't agree more. And I've even experienced some opponents that when you put pressure on them to play quicker, the it has the opposite effect. Yeah. And no no bad intentions involved necessarily. It just can sometimes rattle them. Yeah. Yeah, just like any, any small moment of confrontation, even when, like, an example... Uh, like, you know, Corey gave me like his kind of like normal phrasing or whatever. And it's very similar to mine where it's like as about anti-confrontational as you can get. And also admitting that like the onus is on like you, the player as well. And like, this is an us thing. We are in this together. Like we collectively should speed up because it is in our best interest, et cetera. Like that to me is, is not super confrontational, but like I cannot control how other people perceive that right so yeah it's tough uh if if i had like a chess clock or whatever or if we had 60 minute rounds all of this would probably just like not be a big deal but like that is not the system we exist in so i i just need to think about this more i agree and i don't think it's crazy that things like this should affect the deck that we choose to play like going back to like the decisions that we make about whether or not to take an intentional draw in a different spot, like every decision that you make, at least from my perspective, is like in the best interest of you winning the tournament. And the pace at which a deck can close a game is absolutely one of those factors. It is. And I basically, I thought that if I got a draw, that my tournament was over because it would pair me against people who had maybe even more issues with pace of play and like deck closing speed than like, the opponent that I even got a draw with, you know? Yeah. 
So I just, I felt like if I got a draw, I was doomed. Yep. I was uh, not going to get a draw for that exact reason of like, not only is like playing the deck that we played against other decks that get draws, like probably like not put us in a good spot from a matchup perspective. You're also going to be playing against slow decks and more likely than not slow opponents. And like, that's just disastrous. Yeah. I, I want to play against scam every round, you know? Yep. And there's not a lot of scam in the draw bracket. Not a whole lot. Uh, yeah. So I, I think but, I need I, I need something else in my back pocket, probably. Yeah. I won the first two rounds. Round three, my opponent led on a land that I had to read. That okay. was the white oh. Valakut. That was what? It was the white oh. Valakut land. A Mary of the Sky Ruin. I'm yeah. familiar. Yeah. So he plays that. I have a great hand. I'm like, oh, this is going to be easy. Three and oh. And nah, I think nah. I think on on turn five of that game he had like 47 life, and I don't think there was a possible well like I had nine cards in my hand and firing on all cylinders, and I just there's just there was just it was totally impossible for me to keep up with the amount of life he was gaining. I just couldn't deal that much damage. Yeah, this is this is a martyr of sands deck for the record. Mono white martyr of sands. Which, which, if you had like presented that to me as like a how do we beat this, I would have told you it's impossible because I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it, and he, listen, he had good draws. I also had good draws, but like his deck did it what it was supposed to in a reasonable way, and I disrupted him. At one point, he was assembling like, like haywire mites each turn and recurring them, and just like nuking all of my leyline bindings and up the bean stocks, and just like, yeah. Got rinsed. Yep. Um, uh, very humbling. Yeah, we we are good at killing people from twenty. You know. Yeah, but it, even that takes a while. It it does. It still takes like twelve turns or whatever. And we're good against opponents that present, uh, you know, like basically not a lot of artifact and enchantment permanence, but like we can deal with a couple here and there, right? But like. Creatures that are worth killing, creatures that you invest in and you rely on. I mean, yeah, those are dead. You're dead, right? Yeah. But. So game two, he just like sacks a martyr on like turn three and reveals his hand. And like every bone in my body wanted to just like concede and go get food. Yeah, you just know that you're dead. Yeah. He reveals like a planner cleansing type card. I can't remember exactly what it is, but six mana destroy all permanents, right? And like, I don't have a counter spell in my deck. Like, just going to kill all my stuff including my Leyline Bindings that are going to answer the other cards in his hand that I can't beat. Yeah, what are you going to do, commandeer it? Yeah. Like, um, so that happened. I lost to Rhinos. Just like good draws happen sometimes, but a matchup I still like. I think I said to you after the tournament, like I, I think a lot of your assessments and predictions for what people are going to do were pretty spot on. I think that like the decks that did well reflect that. And I think if we can go back and play the event again, I, I'd register the same 75. I would if I were not thinking about clock stuff. Fair. Yep. And I think that's reasonable, especially on the second day of a two-day event when we know that, like, the energy we're going to have is just going to be less, too. I realized why I dropped, by the way. Oh, tell me. I needed my emotional support, Dave. Got it. And you had left. And I, I had various homies in the place, but I didn't have... I didn't have like a rock, you know, like a person that I knew I could rely on to like be there and chill with me. And this is not placing blame or whatever, but it did make me think about a thing that you've told me a few times where it's like, if we could get 
you know, like five people to go to a lot of these events instead of just like the two of us or whatever, it would be better. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, but like, I like the people we have now, you know, but at this point, like Brian and Christina got home and everything. Uh, and I was just like, damn, yeah, if I had, you know, like two more people here, I would have stayed in probably. Yeah. Can I flip this one on you? Yeah, please. Every time you've dropped on me, you've just left. Yeah, but like, you have never expressed any sort of like need along those lines. Fair. Do you, do you have like I no. I know that I know that you would prefer that I don't leave, right? Yeah, and not at all times, right? I would say like week to week, like what would be helpful for me might not always be the same. And 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 that's that's kind of what I'm saying too. It's like you you dropped and went back to the room, yeah. right? Like I didn't I didn't question it for a second. Yeah, it's just like pretty normal behavior, I think. But yeah, it's funny because I got my second loss, and Corey asked me if I was going to drop, and I said no. And I sat next to you and watched you play that round that you won on turn five of turns. And it just exhausted me. And I'm looking, <laughs> at, I'm looking at my phone and I'm seeing my Patriots beat up on the Buffalo Bills. And I was like, oh man, I got to go watch this. You told me you had work to do. I did, but the football game was the icing on the cake. Fair. So... Listen, the Patriots don't win games a lot. So when these days, so when they're going to win a game, I got to go see it. And then, and then how do you feel about the bills? I don't know the bills lore, if, if there is a thing there or not, but I would say if I had to describe like the first word that comes to mind is I feel sympathy for them. Okay. Because we've just beat up on them so good for so long. And like, listen, they're pretty good now. I kind of like Josh Allen. Um, but, um, I don't even think I can call them a rival because it just like has never really been that closer interesting but you let them call the patriots a rival yeah they can. you're just like sure buddy yeah like <laughs> yeah like i went to a patriots game in buffalo one time but buffalo bills fans are nuts right so that was a lot of fun but like i wasn't really getting into it with anybody i was just kind of laughing at them because it's like scoreboard yeah you're just like i i i could maybe like do this playfully right but it feels like punching down kind of hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it absolutely feels like punching down is the exact word to describe my feelings. Got it. So, so, so even then in this game where you're like, I want to watch, it's like, you, you don't have to, cause it is kind of like punching down. Yeah. And like, listen, the roles are certainly flipped right now, right? Like they have a pretty damn good football team and like the Patriots are kind of a joke. Okay. Well, never mind then. Then it's actually right? interesting. Yeah. So I think we, we, I was like going into this week, like almost rooting for us to tank to try to get the first overall draft pick. Okay. Not a great place to be. No. Well, it's better than like 15th best team. Right. I I guess, but yeah. Yeah. But I don't know that happened. And I agree with you. Like, listen, man, I've had fun at these events. I think that they're, they're a good time. And I, it does seem like they are trending in the wrong direction given the the prize support is trending in the wrong direction and the structure and the formats are like seem to be trending towards smaller events um towards more side events and the the, the cons are still happening but like the, the the showcase events that are the most interesting and appealing for me seem to be dwindling and that is disappointing you know what man i really don't like uh Swiss plus top eight on the same day. I just don't. I don't. And there's something to be said, like, listen, 
like when you have a, a just a Swiss plus top eight event, there's like obviously every like I would say the primary goal for most of the people in that event is like make top eight. Right. That's like the goal they go into it with. That's like, you know, and then like there's a number of other people in the event who cash. Right. And they leave the event, maybe happy, maybe sad, but like they have like some sort of accomplishment. I, like making day two of a two day event is in and of itself like a milestone and an accomplishment for people. It is. Right. And I think the number of people that leave a tournament like happy or satisfied or feeling like they like accomplished something or gotten it, unlocked an achievement, if you will, goes up when you have a two day event. It's just more exciting. Yeah. I liken it to, to hitting a checkpoint kind of. Yeah. Achievement uh, unlocked. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, listen, I think the feature match area is some, some element of that as well. It is. Yeah, right? you, you just get one. You know, yeah. like you get we're your playing, first feature match, you're stoked. People yeah, are texting playing, their friends. Yeah, they're, dude, I was in the feature match area and somebody's paired against Brian and it's like round three and they're one and one. And there's like Corey's backpack stream, like three seats over. It's like the least sophisticated feature match area I've seen in quite some time. And he's like, asked if he can call his wife and tell her that he's gonna, in the feature match area before he starts. Yeah. Just amazing. I, I I don't know. I thought it was awesome. I love the the like the excitement that that stuff brings, and I think that that's the type of stuff I'd want to see more. So obviously, there's a lot going on at these events now. That you know, we talked about like the standard main event on Saturday or whatever. It 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 definitely wasn't the main event. You know, uh, if, if anything, like everything was like kind of equal, or even this is overshadowed by like a Fab GP or. A, a different games nationals right and i don't know like tournaments in general are just the way that they are designed creates losers where yeah. you know there's only one winner right and well in the standard one there was four but yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an outlier, to be yeah, fair. But, you know, what do I know? I, yeah. I haven't been there in a while, so <laughs> I'll take your word for it. But there are these little smaller milestones that you can introduce to enhance people's weekends. And I do think that in instituting things like them, like uh, like payouts, payouts going down more, certainly helps. I, I don't think they should go down necessarily further than like top 32 and like 140 person thing. I think that that's completely reasonable. But like when you're talking about maybe having a two day event where it's, I, I like the eight, eight rounds cut to day two, five, then top eight or top 12, whatever you want to do, like pay out to top 64. Like that is a lot of room to enhance the weekend of a bunch of different individuals and make them walk away feeling like winners. Also, the random feature matches every round is a good way to add on to that too, right? Where I, I just think a lot of people end up going home happy under those conditions versus like eight rounds, cut the top eight, you finish at 10 p.m., your friends abandon you for food and it's like, you know, you lost in top four and you're just like, this was a, a waste or whatever, you know? Couldn't agree more. And like having a nine round tournament on a Sunday, like, yo, there was a handful. Most of the people that we were with or talking to, like they, they the, even if they made the top eight, like they had to drive or fly or do something that night. Like that wasn't even in their range to stay. Yeah. And that's why I'm I'm skeptical if whether or not the, the top eight actually finished on Sunday. But uh, I can't I can't blame them either way. I can't I can't blame y'all for 
you know, top four, just like, can we get out of here, please? Like, yeah. I am over this, right? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely bigger tournament on Saturday. So the tournament on Sunday is smaller so that there's, you know, one less round of that thing. But also, like, we can do the whole top eight of Saturday's thing on Sunday. That would be cool. And I know that that's happening in, in one of the future events. So that's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Um, But yeah, past that, I don't know. It's it's tough, you know? Yeah, I it'll be interesting. I think there's a lot of moving pieces over the next year, right? Seeing the continued investment that Wizards is clearly making in a standard. And I think they've, they've already committed quite a bit, at least over the next 12 to 18 months um, of doing that quite a bit more. What effect does that have on these like third-party tournament series and how much do they buy into it? It'll be interesting to see. But given what we saw this weekend, like you know, people like Modern. Yeah, we know that. They're, they're, they're down to play Modern no matter what. Yeah. And it's it's it, if we were going to run a tournament, Dave and Jerry's tournament series or whatever, it's pretty hard to make a strong argument for something other than modern right now. Agreed. Uh, one thing that was brought to my attention, which I I guess I should have known about, considering I was at all these these events, was that this now marks uh, three top eights in a row for you, or like you know three top eights in weekends in a row. In star, yeah, at these events that we've been going to since the podcast. Yeah, the Jerry T podcast has been good to me. Yeah, not too bad. And also, uh, lore that you happily dropped is that you have never left Dallas without a trophy. Three for three. So that's pretty good. And you are a three for three in top eights in a row. And then, as someone else brought up, they've all been with Shadow Prophecy in your deck. And that is probably <laughs> my favorite part. So, so look, kids, I don't know, I don't know how else to like further, you know, sell this to you or not. Like maybe it's a Dave thing. Uh, it's hard to say, but maybe it's a shadow prophecy thing. Who knows? It's funny because I was one of the most aggressive haters of it to begin with. And my brother doesn't push me on cards too often. He usually doesn't have like that crazy of strong opinions. And I, I found this out this weekend. Like <laughs> what deck do you want to play, man? <laughs> just like, yeah. Hey. But every once in a while, he just has like an absurdly strong one. And he just swore by this card like so aggressively way back when we were playing like Persist Archon Creativity. And I played it based on that and turned out to be great. And here we are. So he deserves yeah, credit for that one. The the thing I would liken to that is being on a team with Sam Black for you know a handful of years or whatever. And he's just off in his corner doing his own thing. And at no point is he trying to convince people that his thing is the right thing to do, right? And then there's just like a random GP where uh, I decided to play Shadow and then I go to like our team's Facebook group and was basically just going to like post my list so like people knew about it. But like we weren't doing a whole lot together for GPs or anything. It was just like maybe share our deck choice or whatever. And I go in there and Sam Black is already like, hey, I'm playing the Shadow deck. I'm pretty sure it's busted. Like this is... is kind of subtext of like this is the opposite of boy crying wolf right like i am sam black i literally never cry wolf you're kind of silly if you don't listen to me in this instance yeah. like i never have strong feelings this is one time where i do have strong feelings please listen to me and it was like me sam raptor all made top eight severo was top 16 i think ochoa was top 32 we were the five people that played it amazing and this is where like knowing the weight of other people's words and like how much a strong opinion means from them is like relative 
And like that experience, you know, increases the odds and chance that you'll listen to him in a situation like that. Right. It's, it is communication and the various communication techniques that people employ and everything. And yeah, in, in your brother's case, I think that if he has strong feelings about something, we should probably listen. Uh, if you have strong feelings about something, you should share. I mean, I I have conclusions backed up by facts and experience. My confidence level may vary, and I'm I'm willing to share all of that if you would like to get like the hour long download, you know, a different time. So, but like all of these things, like it if. You asked me what my confidence rate that like my Golgari list was the best possible Golgari list. I would have said very high, but also not everyone can pick it up without me talking to them for two hours about it. Yeah. Which is kind of the problem. But in terms of like the ramp deck, I was satisfied with it. I was going to happily play it myself, but I knew that I had not put in enough work to definitively say whether or not all the stuff was perfect. And even now, it's like, I'm sure we could change some stuff, right? But Yeah, absolutely. But I think the dynamic here is like, listen, all 150 of the cards in those two decks or very close to that were yours. Yeah. So like in any other situation, I think you would agree that like that person should like has some level of right to play them. And I think that like put putting him in a spot where he's empowered to pick is like not fair. Not not fair to who? Him. It's your choice. They're your cards. He was putting me up for the day. He was showing me around town. He was like driving me to the event site. Like, yeah, and if he had strong feelings and like said, I really want to play this and you let him and it was the deck you wanted to play, I'd feel differently. But. Yeah, I mean, I was I was already at a point where I, I was fine with either and like I more so cared about his success than mine. Like, that's just always going to be a constant, man. Like, you yeah. can't fight against that. I, I just love it because that was all he cared about too, right? You both were just trying to do the best possible thing that either of you could do for each other. And, like, the level of hypocrisy and hilarity in all of this is amazing. And bo- both of you told me after the fact that you picked your deck for the... It was just amazing. Yeah, it's it's funny. And I don't know how to resolve this going forward. It's like... I, I hope you, that you understand now that like I'm probably not going to do stuff that's in my best interest ever. And I'm going to get you to do things in your best interest for the right reasons. Why? To what end? Who cares? Somebody's got to look up for you, man. I mean, if, if you care more than me, that's kind of weird. No? Maybe. How much you care is not going to affect the amount that I do. How's that? Well, yeah, it can't because like I'm already at zero or whatever. So yeah, so it doesn't sound very weird. <laughs> doesn't sound very weird when you put it like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, try to try to convince me that what is good for me or someone else is not like equally as important and. Uh, like, good luck with that, you know? Yeah. Do it for the people, Jerry. I understand what you're saying. And I do think that there is merit to that. 
but I feel like I could also do things that are good for the people that don't necessarily have to be with me taking a selfish stance on anything. I think you choosing to play ramp in this event and calling that selfish is like preposterous, but I'm with you. I mean, yeah, it's like it wouldn't be like selfish, you know, extremely derogatory or whatever, uh, I guess. But at the end of the day, like it, it still does, you know, cross that line for me or whatever. So, yeah, we'll get there. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. It's a fun conversation. At a minimum, we'll work at it. Yeah. Um, how much progress we make is more debatable. Um, so you're going to play RCQs? I'm queued for Denver now, so that's now a thing. Yeah. Uh, and like for whatever it's worth, I think Denver's like first or second week of February, which means I'm going to have like a six or eight week old baby girl. Knock on wood. Everything goes smoothly, hopefully. Um, but like that means I need this to be a work trip. You know? Right. Uh, this weekend, I have nothing. Next weekend, I have a wedding. The week after is Pittsburgh. And then after Pittsburgh, there is a potential for an RCQ in DC that is on my calendar and has been on my calendar. So, like, I was already kind of planning on playing an RCQ. And I don't know. Certainly, when I go there, I'm going to give Cho whatever I think is the, the better deck. Like, <laughs> that's just not up for debate, you know? Yeah. So, I can mail you two copies of the best deck. Luckily, listen, there's a lot of good decks that you could easily win the tournament with, so that's less extreme. Agreed. I'm, I'm actually, dude, thinking about this, I am kind of confused as to how I won an RCQ with, like, Yorion Omnath. And I don't remember having really any time concerns whatsoever. It's funny because, at least the way you explained this to me way after the fact, you didn't just win that tournament. You, like, annihilated it. I, I did lose a mirror in the Swiss, but then I I defeated them very soundly in the top four. So, yeah, I, it was not particularly close, I don't think. I think if you run that tournament back, you know, 10 times, I win a, a pretty high portion of them. I mean, one is a pretty high portion, so. Well, that's all you need. Yeah. See, I don't know. What was what was different there versus this? I I don't know. Maybe there it was no feature match area. Maybe that's all it was because I think like that deck's closing speed was even worse. I think it was a little bit of swagger. Sometimes that like that swagger, that element of confidence, just like speeds you up a tick. I was probably a little bit more clean then than I was for this for whatever reason. I don't know why. Yeah, or at least felt you were, right? So, like, listen, I, I really do think that, like, confidence in and of itself more often than not is, like, a pretty valuable thing to have, even if it's not for good reasons or rational. Sometimes it can not, that cannot be true, right? But Yeah. And, uh, and, dude, honestly, I told you this in my game two against the first Jun Saga opponent where it was clear that, like, time was going to be an issue. I think I hit a stride where, like, my brain was picking up on stuff, my dexterity picked up, and I was making decisions like fast and clean and felt confident about them. And then the more pressure that built, the more and more that kind of like fell apart. But like there was like a maybe a five minute window where I was like old Jerry. Feels good, doesn't it? Felt incredible. Yeah. I used to be like that like every day. Yeah. And Can't we're imagine. Never, you're never going to be like that every day ever again. But like we can get it more than it is now. 
Angie. Yeah. All right. What's what's next for you? That's a good question. Like, for example, what are we talking about next week? We have we have preview cards. Preview started today. Are you excited? I did read the preview cards today. I didn't read them all. I didn't read them all, but I read way more than I normally do. Okay. Um, and I think there's a Magic Arena draft open thingamajig this weekend. No way. I yeah. didn't even know that. Yeah. And like, yo, I've, I've really cleaned up those this year. I'm, I'm nervous about getting my tax forms from that. But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So definitely going to definitely going to be doing that on my phone on Saturday. And then um, it's Halloween weekend. Right. So dressing up the three year old as uh, Buzz Lightyear and hitting a parade on Sunday morning. But m- maybe we draft that. Maybe we stream that together. Man, Pixar must have just done such a good job to keep Buzz Lightyear like canon for 20 years. Like that was a costume when I was young. Oh, you, dude, you have no idea. We have we have a Buzz Lightyear backpack thing that has wings. You push a button, the wings come out. Badass. Like, dude, I can send you pictures. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Why? We say goodnight with two infinity and beyond, man. <laughs> oh, I love that. But also, holy crap, Pixar is too good. Yeah. The best. So yeah, maybe we do the draft Saturday or Sunday together in the Discord. I'm down. Is it is it is it the good format? Yeah, it's Wilds Limited. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Dude, we should have done a limited episode this week. What are we doing? We're doing it right now. Oh. We're doing it next week after. It's a recap. No, but like the the point of the podcast is not to like tell the people about what happened on our weekend. It's to get them prepared for their events. True. There are certain podcasts who did the other thing and did not succeed. It was an oversight. Yeah. So I, I don't like doing that. It's it's kind of useless at that point. Yeah, it's fun. There's good stories. There are good stories, but that's not the point. That's not the thing that's helpful, you know. But all right, whatever. Uh, I gotta I gotta go record another podcast. So I guess it's time to end this two hour one. Game. Game. Good luck.